Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through 18. Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through 18. And everybody listening online now wondering why they laughed when I said Colossians chapter 4. You should have been here. All right. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, we're going to pick up in verse 12 and look at Epaphras. Now, we're not going to spend too much time with Epaphras for the fact if you were at the beginning of our study, you'll remember that I actually taught on Epaphras and looked at these verses when we were in the very beginning. But I'm going to remind for some of you that weren't here for that. Epaphras is someone who we looked at, like I said at the beginning. He most likely was the one who started this church in Colossae since Paul had never been there. So go with me real quick back to Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> it's important that we see... Uh, a setup here for Epaphras, because we're going to go somewhere as we look at him. In Ephesians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says, um, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Jump over to chapter 2 and look at verse 1. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. As you put this together and you do some background research and study, you'll find that most likely, Paul had never seen these people that he was writing to in the church in Colossae. And as we saw last week, the church was meeting in Philemon's house. And Epaphras was most likely the one that God used to help get this church started there in Colossae. Epaphras, as you know from our beginning of our introduction of the, of the book, was really concerned about the spiritual health of the church because of some false teaching that had crept in and all that. And he had actually traveled all the way to Rome to go meet with Paul to get some insight and some wisdom about how to deal with the problems that were happening in the church. And he had a real heart for the church there. While he was there, there's a chance that he might have actually ended up prisoner himself. Paul describes him in one of the places we'll see as a fellow prisoner. Um, and when he sends this letter, he sends it back, um, not with Epaphras, but with Tychicus, and Tychicus had to take Onesimus back. Epaphras didn't go back to the church in Colossae. He actually stayed there in Rome. So go back to Colossians chapter 4 and look again at what it says about Epaphras. It says, Epaphras, which is who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Now, Epaphras had a strong love for the brethren of that church since he was a part of their birth and their growth. We should love all the believers. We should love all the, all the brothers. But if we're honest with ourselves, there is a deeper sense of connection to those whom we have been instrumental in their coming to Christ and with those that we have served side by side with in ministry. If you think back over your life, we should have a love for everybody that's in the kingdom. But let's be honest. Don't you have a a closer, deeper connection with those that you have been a part of them coming to know the Lord or that you've worked side by side in ministries. I look across this room and see people from so many different churches. I have a love for a lot of you that's deeper than others. And that's okay because of the fact that we've connected for the cause of Christ and we work side by side and God has done amazing things. As I just look at Sue, I, I don't know if you know this, but since Becky and I hit 25 years of marriage last week, we sat and watched our video. And the video we had was not the one your husband recorded. But on that video, we got to see your husband 25 years ago running a camera in this sanctuary as he recorded our wedding. And as we look back, I could tell stories about people all around the room and the things that God has done over the years and how because of Christ, he's brought us together. And Epaphras had a love for these people that was so strong. Paul said he was struggling in his prayers for them. But look closely. 
What was he wanting for them? What was he struggling in his prayers for them about? That's a question. <clears throat> that they would stand firm and be mature in Christ. We want our pastors to pray for our health. We want our pastors to pray for our marriages. I've even had people want me to pray for their pets. Or a job possibility. But rarely do we want them to meddle in our spiritual condition. And folks, I'm going somewhere with this, and I want you to stick with me, because as I kind of just prayed over my notes, God just took me somewhere this afternoon as I was just looking over my notes, and I rewrote the whole rest of our study, which I already laid out, because there was something here that God wants me to take us to look at. If you go to Wednesday night prayer meeting in most of our churches today, what do we pray about? Health. We pray about so-and-so's liver or so-and-so's kidney. And trust me, those are important things and God cares about them. But how often do we truly pray about the things that the Bible shows us we're supposed to be praying about for each other? You have no problem saying, hey, pastor, would you pray about this? or Would you pray about that? But if he were to say to you, but how is your walk with the Lord? Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Push him away. And I want to take us back and show you from the scriptures what the prayers were really about. In Colossians chapter 1, look at verses 9 through 14. Look at what Paul said he was praying about. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What was this prayer about? Was it about health? It was about spiritual health though, wasn't it? His prayer was that they would grow in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, if we're to actually allow the scriptures to speak to us and allow God to teach us from his word, we need to continue. And I'm going to show you a whole bunch more to actually move into a realm where we start moving on to maturity. I'm going to tell you right now, if you go into your, each of your churches, and I love the fact that I'm teaching people from so many different churches because I don't have to deal with one specific issue in a certain place. I'm just going to shoot broadly and let the spirit of God take it from there. But if in your churches you're talking more about health issues physically or you're talking more about a vote in a business meeting or the physical condition of the building, if you're focusing on those things and you don't really care about the spiritual condition of the people, let me say it to you as nicely as I can, you're not a healthy church. You could even have the best organization and everything can be painted and look really nice, but if people are not growing in their walk with the Lord, that should be what people should be focusing on. We keep busy looking at numbers and how are we doing? Is our attendance going up? And God says, I don't really care about that. I care more about individuals growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're loving one another in the process. How many times did Paul ever write to a church and say, how many are you running now? Does anybody know? None. How many times did Paul say to a church when he wrote to all these letters, how many of you reached for Christ? Never. We get so focused on looking at how we're doing and are we doing enough and we get man-centered. I, I had this discussion briefly in a board meeting I was at today, but we get so fighting with each other over, well, these people lead people to the Lord, but they're not discipling them. And if we're not discipling, did you ever realize that when God had Philip... Be a part of the Ethiopian unit coming to faith in Christ. As soon as they came up out of the water, Philip was gone. God transported him to Azadus. God didn't seem to be too concerned about whether or not the Ethiopian eunuch was discipled. God's got that stuff. We get focused on what we think man ought to be doing when individually the Bible teaches we're to be walking in. You're going to see we're going to go there in our study tonight. In the role that God has for us, yet listen... If we are to be concerned about what's going on in each other's lives, we should not be concerned about what are they doing or whether or not they're doing it the way I think they ought to be doing it. But we should be praying and saying, Lord, are they growing in their love for you? Is it manifesting itself in the fruit of the spirit and of love and joy and peace and patience? And the fact that they believe that you're going to take care of them. 
And one of the things you've heard me say this for years, I'm going to say it to you again, as a, in my 20 plus years of pastoring, I rate people in my minds. Mind, I guess. <laughs> my schizophrenia just came out there a little bit. I subconsciously have rated people over the years as high maintenance, medium maintenance, or low maintenance. And the people that are low maintenance are the ones who have the closest walk with the Lord Jesus Christ because they have come to realize the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They don't need me. But how many people over the years have said, I need my pastor. I need my pastor. When the Bible says that those of us who are called to equip the saints for the work of the ministry are supposed to be helping you grow up into him who is the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, if we're doing our job, we're going to be focused more about how you are spiritually than whether or not your livers are right. Again, God cares about livers. There's nothing wrong with praying for those things, but that shouldn't be the focus of what we're focusing on. If I really am going to do my job the way that God's called and gifted me to, I'm going to be concerned more about you getting closer to the Lord and needing me less and less and less. You do realize the Bible says that uh, in the promise to the nation of Israel, when he brings them back into the land and then fulfills his promise at the end of the tribulation, it says after that, he says, the things we've already talked about that have been given to us, I'm going to erase your sin, I'm going to put my spirit within you, and I'm going to cause you to obey my commands. And then it says after that, and then no more will anyone say, know the Lord, for they'll all know him. Do you realize I'm going to be out of a job pretty soon? You do understand that, right? As much as I love that God's called what he's called me to and gifted me to do, the Bible says that one day preaching will come to an end. Because we'll know as we are known. There's going to come a day when they won't need preachers and teachers. But if I'm to do my job the way that God wants me to, you're going to need me less and less and less as you go closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Epaphras, he was concerned that they would stand firm against the false teaching that was going on and that they would be mature in their walk. That was his prayer. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. Paul had the same prayer. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. And he'll take care of all that stuff. And, and going right down that same road, and going down that same road, if you go to James where it talks about, is anyone sick? Let him go to the elders of the church and have be anointed with oil. And as you, if you look, listen closely, it shows that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes physical ailments are tied to spiritual condition. What did it say in 1 Corinthians 11? Because some of you are taking the Lord's Supper incorrectly. And by the way, it wasn't because they weren't contemplating it properly when they held it in their hands. In the context of that passage, the body that it's referring to was the, the body, the church. If you read in the context of 1 Corinthians 11, they were getting together for their love feast and their, their koinonia meal. Some weren't waiting for everybody else. Some were getting drunk. I mean, it wasn't even the, the whole purpose of them coming together because of Christ was getting lost. And when he says, because you're not considering the body of Christ, it wasn't because they weren't serious and somber enough when they held that piece of cracker in their hands. It was actually because they were ignoring the body of Christ. And because some of you aren't considering the body of Christ, some are sick. And some have died. And then he says, if any of you sick, after having been to the doctor, go to the elders of the church and they'll pray for you. Listen. And if he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Did you see that? Folks, we need to really start becoming people that fo focus so much less on all the stuff we've been taught that are the things of the church and really say, how can I pray for you to grow in your walk with the Lord? Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, you're going to hear Paul pray the same thing that he says at the end Epaphras was praying for. Paul says in Colossians 1 verse 28, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. And for this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Do you realize most pastors today spend most of their time trying to keep the body from killing each other? Do you realize most of the pastors today spend most of their time dealing with people where they're fighting with each other? They don't get to focus on people's spiritual growth and their walk with the Lord it's too busy. She hurt my feelings. She hurt my feelings. They're sitting in my spot. They parked in my spot. All this stuff. 
The music's too loud. I don't like the songs. Listen to me, folks. The scripture shows us here at the end that Epaphras had such a heart for these people, he was willing to go all the way to Rome to go seek wisdom from Paul because he was concerned that the body of Christ in Colossae was not growing in their walk with the Lord. And he might have ended up getting becoming a prisoner because of it. Go to Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 1 through 7. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. You're going to see that in just a second. And for all who have not seen me face to face, uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. All right. Again, what has he prayed for? that they would be strong and they'd be knit together. We see, again, this thing about Laodicea. Go back to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Uh, Bible scholars, and I lean with them, think that this letter from Laodicea actually is the book of Ephesians. If you remember from our study of the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was a letter that was written not to one specific church. He doesn't deal with any specific issue in any church there. He doesn't say hi to anybody in a local congregation. The book of Ephesians was a letter that was supposed to be passed around to each of the churches because of the fact that we have found some manuscripts that said blank in the section of where it was written to whom. And then some manuscripts have say, say to the Ephesians, we believe that what happened was is that the original manuscripts that were written by Paul or the person who transcribed it for Paul actually didn't have to which church it was written to. And that way they could fill in the blank when it got to their congregation. And because of that, there were some copies that were made that had no name of who it was to. The church at Ephesus most likely wrote their name in and then some copies were made of that. And we have copies that say to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. The letter that's supposed to be read from Laodicea most likely is the book of Ephesians. And it was to be passed around to all the churches. So, since we haven't had the, church of, the letter from the Laodicea read to us there at Colossae, but we have it here, I want to take us back to Ephesians real quick and show you a couple of prayers that Paul had that was to be read to the same church from the letter from the Laodiceans, which I think is the book of Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Again, look at what Paul's praying for. And he doesn't mention anything physical. He says in chapter 1, verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I did not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Did you see that? My prayer is that you will grow in your understanding that God would open your eyes to all that you have in Christ. Chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he says, to him is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. Look at verses 18 through 20. As he finishes describing the armor of God, he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He doesn't say, pray that I'll get out. What does he say? Pray that I'll have the boldness to preach in the role that God's given me in the condition that I'm in. Again, please don't hear me wrong. 
There's nothing wrong with praying for God to bring healing to an individual. But if that's as far as you go, and you really don't concern yourself with the, real, the deeper issue, with their relationship with the Lord, what if God has brought this ailment to bring them to Him? The Bible does say that, by the way, if you want to go back to Job chapter 33, when they're, they're speaking about how God speaks in many ways. And one of the ways that he speaks is through a sickness and ailments that bring us to our deathbed so that we'll come to that place where we'll turn to God. What if the ailment is God being used not only to if he does use to bring people to him, but also for those who are him. Doesn't God sometimes put us through stuff like that to take us deeper? It's called pruning. Paul said, I prayed three times that this thing in my flesh, this thorn would be removed. But God said, no, I'm going to leave it there. There's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, would you bring healing in this area physically? But keep in mind, sometimes God's doing something far deeper. And so I'm saying that as you pray for someone's big toe, really start to say, Lord, what's really going on here? What's, what's, what's more important than the big toe? All right. We need to look at Demas for a little bit, or else we're going to run out of time here. Chapter 4, verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. I could take a whole lot of time on Luke, but you got a whole book from him, so we're good. All right. Actually, you got two books from him, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. We need to look at Demas. There's something I, wanna, I think God wants us to look at tonight. Demas was known to the church in Colossae. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't say, Demas says hi. That's just like me saying, Alexander says hi, and you're going, who's Alexander? You know what I'm saying? Demas was known to the church in Colossae. Go to, go to the book of Philemon real quick. Right before, if you're not quite sure where it is, it's right before Hebrews. Go to Philemon and look at verses 23 uh, through 25. Philemon, verses 23 through 25. Remember, Philemon was written in the same in time, same imprisonment. You're going to see some of the same names. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends, you, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, if you didn't know what I'm about to show you, you'd think Demas was one of the good guys. And for a while, he looked like one. He even fooled Paul. But go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verses 9 through 11. This is the last letter that we have Paul, have we have that Paul wrote, that we have at least, most likely the last letter he wrote. And look at what he says in verses 9 through 11. He says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very helpful, useful to me in the ministry. Look at how he described why Demas left. Why did Demas leave? Because he was in love with this world. Even Paul could be fooled. And stick with me here. Not everyone that professes salvation actually possesses salvation. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Let me lay this out for you scripturally in the time we have here. Matthew 13, look at verses 1 through 9 and verses 18 through 23. Matthew 13, verse 1, the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Jump to verse uh, uh, 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, 
This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, this is important, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Is he saying the one that produces a hundred is better than the one with sixty? No, he's not. God doesn't expect us all to produce the same amount. Like we've shown you before in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, the one who had the five turned into ten, God said, well done. The one who had the two turned into four, God says, you did awesome, well done. And he's not expecting us all to produce the same, but look closely at this parable. There are going to be those who spring up and they're among us and we think they're one of us. And they fool us. But sometimes... Over time, it becomes evident they're really not one of us. I'm not going to have you turn there, but you can write it down and look at it later on. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, John says, They went out from us, but they weren't of us, because if they were of us, they would have stayed. But their going showed that they weren't really of us. You see, the issue is not whether or not someone says they're saved. The issue is not whether someone's baptized. The issue is not whether or not the person has served well in the church for years. Here's the issue. It has God given this person his spirit. That's the difference. The Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? Unless you fail the test. Go with me real quickly. You're in Matthew. Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Look at verses 23 through 25. says, now when he, meaning Jesus, John chapter 2, verse 23, when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he had needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Do you see that? They believed, but Jesus didn't seal the deal, if you will. And so, folks, what I want you to understand is the Bible is very clear, and I'm going to show you this, and so hopefully you'll see it. If a person is truly saved and God's given them his spirit, they won't walk away. Oh, they won't walk away permanently. You know the story of the prodigal son. He said, I want nothing to do with you anymore, and he went away, but he did come back, right? This one son of mine was lost, but now he's found. On top of that, did Peter not also deny Peter, after he had made his profession of faith, and Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Your flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And you are Peter. You're that new person now. After that point, Peter not only denied Jesus. Listen, he said, I never even met him. That's what he said. He said, I never even met him. It wasn't like, oh, I wasn't hanging out with him. I know he's talking. No, he said, I never even met him. But he came back. The true reality is not whether or not someone has walked away, but if they walked away and stay away, the Bible says they never, ever had it. And I want to give you some encouraging words, because I, I deal with people all around the country who say, Jim, you're one of those people that believes once saved, always saved. And I said, yes, if they've truly been saved. There are a lot of people that say, well, what about this situation? I know a person, give me all the examples you want. I'm going to stick with the scripture. The Bible's very clear that if you have been given his spirit, you're sealed by God as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance, but I got the best proof of any kind in John chapter 6. You're in John chapter 2. Go to John chapter 6. Look closely at what Jesus says. John chapter 6, verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, listen, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, 
and I will raise him up on the last day. What's the will of God? That everyone who truly believes will have eternal life and that he'll, they'll be raised up on the last day. And Jesus says, I've come here to do my father's will. Oh, and not only that, everyone the father gives to me, I will never, ever cast out. I will never, ever say to someone that's truly been given to me, I never knew you. So, folks, the issue is, does this person really know Jesus? Now, is it our job to determine who's saved and who's not? Then what should we be doing then if we're not to know or try to determine who's saved and who's not saved? It goes right back to what we've been talking about. That's why we need to be more focused on people's spiritual walk with the Lord and their growth in their knowledge of Jesus and their walking with him. Because if we as a group are actually growing in our knowledge of the Lord, getting more and more excited about what God's doing in our lives, growing deeper in our faith and our love for each other that manifests the fact that the spirit of God is in us. Guess what? You can't fake that for long. It's going to be hard for one that's truly of Christ to continue with us. Because, well... When I was young, Jeff will remember we used to do this. We moved here in Palm Bay in 1984, back when we were both skinnier. <clears throat> we loved basketball. And whenever we wanted to play basketball, a lot of times we lived off of, off of uh, um, Babcock, and it was on Baker Street, and just off of Babcock, there over by Port Malamar Elementary School. And we would take our basketball, and we would go over to the elementary school to play basketball. You know why? Because the goals at the elementary school were only eight feet tall. And we could dunk like we were pros. And we would spend hours just tearing up those rims. You know why we looked really good? The standard had been lowered. Let me tell you what's happened in our churches today. Because we have not really focused on real spiritual growth. Because we've not let our pastors feed on the word and teach and minister the word and be concerned with people's spiritual walk with their Lord. And we've expected him to be there for our boo-boos and all this other stuff. We have actually lowered the standard of what it means to be a Christian. And it's easy for people who aren't Christians to look like us. I say if we're faithful to the word, we go back to what the standard of God's word actually says a real Christian looks like. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace, patience. Well, I know so-and-so's a little bit hard to deal with, and they're not very friendly, but they've worked really hard in this church for a lot of years. Well, the Bible says that God's not going to reward those who have worked hard in the church for a lot of years. He's going to reward those who have evidenced His Spirit within them, and that's evidenced by love and joy and peace and patience. And why don't we willing to go deal with that cantankerous person and say, my brother, my sister, there seems to me something wrong here. You quote-unquote are faithful, but we don't see Jesus in it. They might get mad. They might get offended. Well, why don't we just lower the goals to eight feet? Why don't we let the standard be the standard? They're not our goals. They're not our goals. We can't lower them. Well put. They're not our goals. Mad or possibly in hell. Well, and that's why the Bible talks about that. If you love them in love, speak the truth. I'll be honest with you. When I was pastor in Chicago... This man came to our church one day, and uh, his name was Bruce. And his uh, wife came with him, and it's another whole story of how she came to faith. She was a Buddhist, and she, over the years, came to faith in Christ. And it's just a cool story for another day. But the reason Bruce showed up at our church is because he worked in an office there in Chicago with another man from our church named Brian, and their desks faced each other. And they had been buddies for many years. They literally look each other in the face as they work because their desks, desks were face to face. And one day, Brian found out that Bruce was a Christian. They had worked together for at least 10 years. And Brian said, you're a Christian? And Bruce goes, yeah. And Brian said, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I have not known. You're those chameleon Christians. He goes, what do you mean chameleon Christian? He said, you look like whatever group you're with. And when I see you hanging out with these people, you act like them. When I see you hanging out with those people, you act like them. When I see you hanging out with these folks, you tell the jokes they tell. You go to the places these people go. I had no idea because you blend in with whatever group you're with so well, you didn't stand out. I didn't know you were a Christian. And this guy, Bruce, told me when he showed up, that hit him right between the eyes when he heard the words, you're a chameleon Christian. And it was through him being told in love truth that he started going back to church. And when he started going to church, he actually went to the place where his friend went 
And then in time, his wife, who was a Buddhist, came to faith, and it was just an amazing thing to watch what God did. But it took a brother saying, I love you, but I don't see it. I love you, but I just don't see it. As typical, Paul would uh, write a final greeting in his own handwriting. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 4 here. Look at what he says in verses 17 and 18. He says, And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Remember from last week's study, Archippus is most likely uh, Philemon's son. Remember the church in Colossae met in Philemon's house. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Now, what have we just been talking about? We've been talking about the need to, in love, be more concerned with people's walk with the Lord Jesus Christ than we are about all the other stuff. In doing so, they're going to be, look what Paul, he tells the church, hey, challenge Archippus to fulfill what God's called him to. Are we willing to go to a brother or sister and say, are you doing what God's called you to do? Well, we can leave that to the pastor. No. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Respect those who are over you in the Lord and hold them in high regard in your, in their, because of their work. By the way, let me back up. It says, Brothers, respect those who are over you in the Lord and hold them in high regard because of their work. Then in the next verse it says, Brothers, same group of people he was just talking to to respect those who are over them. Warn the idle, encourage the timid, help the weak. Whose job is it to come alongside brothers and sisters and warn the idle, encourage the timid, and help the weak? The body. What we've done is we've expected the pastor to do the hard work of the ministry. And then we'll decide whether or not we think he's doing a good enough job. And if he's not doing everything we expect he's supposed to do, we'll find somebody that will. Now, folks, I'm dealing with too many churches around this country right now that are just in a mess because they've expected their pastor to be preacher, counselor, leader, all this stuff. Shepherd, administrator, evangelist. That was never God's plan. That was never God's plan. I got an email yesterday from a man who, a church I preached at, and he said, our pastor was told by someone in a meeting last night that he's, not, he's a good preacher, but he's not a good enough leader, and he needs to go. I wrote back to this person, and I said, I'm praying that your church will raise up a group of godly men who are spiritual, who are going to be the leaders in that church, because that was God's design. It was never God's design that one man be the leader in the church. And the fact that you don't think he's a good enough leader already shows that you're messed up because you think it's supposed to be him, and it never was supposed to be him. There's supposed to be a group of men who are godly leaders, spiritual men who lead the body. Stop expecting him to be the leader. He said he was a good preacher. Let him do what God's gifted him to do. The problem is, in most of our churches... We all have a say in what we think things ought to be. And a guy like that, I promise you, unfortunately, is going to be run off because he's not a good enough leader. It's sad. Paul says, remember my chains. Was Paul trying to use guilt to get them to obey his instructions? I hear some no's. Do you have any scriptural evidence why? You're right. I don't believe he was using guilt to get them to... Go ahead, Jim. He was witnessing facts. He was making a statement of Not only was he making a statement of fact, remember, in this imprisonment, he's written this letter, the Philippian letter, the Ephesian letter, all this. There's some, there's some things in here we can see. And I'm going to show you from the letter to the Philippians and the letter here to the Colossians that we'll, if we're putting it together, we'll see Paul had a reason for saying that. First of all, go with me to Philippians chapter 1, and you'll notice Paul didn't see his imprisonment as a bad thing. Actually, he saw his imprisonment as from the Lord. So if he saw it as from the Lord, he wouldn't be fussing about it. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, look at what he says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. All right. He says, this is God's using this for awesome purposes. We don't see him anywhere saying, pray that I get out. Go ahead, Jeff. Is he perhaps focusing on the fact that there is no hindrance, that everything that, that 
God places in our plate is what he wants to use. Yes, I'm going to add a few words to maybe clarify it. Say that again, though, for those that didn't hear. There is no hindrance. He doesn't see the chains as a bad thing. As you're about to see from Colossians, he sees his chains as exactly what God has for him. Actually, this is his role. What has he just said? Hey, guys, um, just make sure you encourage Archippus to fulfill the role God has for him. And don't forget, I'm fulfilling the role God has for me. Go, go back to Colossians. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. Paul says, now I rejoice in my what? In my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. All right, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among who? The Gentiles are the riches of this glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, actually, I rejoice in the fact that I am right now living out God's plan for my life. Remember when this prophet Agabus came and took Paul's belt and tied his own hands with it and said, the spirit of the Lord says the owner of this belt is going to experience this, this and this, all this hardship. And Paul says, yeah. That lines right up with what the Spirit told me. I don't know exactly what I'm going to experience in Jerusalem, but I know that the Holy Spirit's warned me that it's going to be this and this and this, and it's all going to be bad. But that's the role for me. That's the role God has for my life. I see that what's going on in my life is exactly what God has for me, and I'm at peace with it, and I want to live out the role God has for me. He's just finished saying, tell Archippus to live out the role God has for him. I'm living out the role that God has for me. Even more clear, go to Ephesians chapter 3. Remember, this was to be led, read to the same church. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. It can't be any more clear. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of who? You Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry that he's received. Don't forget... I'm fulfilling the ministry God gave to me. Do you see it? I want to spend an hour more on this, but I can't. Folks, you will not experience the joy of what it means to be in Christ if you try to do things for Christ. I'm going to say it again. It sounds crazy, but I want you to hear me. You will not experience the joy that it means to, that we have for being in Christ if you try to go do things for Christ. You will only find the joy when you understand the role that he has for you and you live only that role. Jesus said, come unto me, you were weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What was the very next thing he said? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Rest does not come when you get a break or a sabbatical. Rest comes when you find the yoke Jesus has for you. For his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Are you experiencing a heavy burden and, and, and not a light burden? You're probably not wearing the yoke Jesus has for you. But you're wearing the yoke the nominating committee has. Our church has one still. I wish they didn't. They've called our house many times. We're good at saying, nope, no thank you. It's not what God would have us do. Folks, there's a tendency for people to tell you what they think you ought to be doing. Look, some are going to produce 100-fold. Some are going to produce 60. Some only 30. That's okay. Find what it is he has for you to do. Do you want to grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? Learn to say no. Sounds crazy. But you know who was the best at saying no? Jesus. I only do what my father has me to do. Lord, tell my sister to help me. Nope, she's good. Lord, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. Who gave me that job? His brother said in John chapter 7, if you're going to be a public figure, you're going to go show yourself at the feast. He said, for you, any time is right. For me, it's not time. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Lord, the one you love is sick. I'll be there when it's time. 
And I have to look you in the eye and tell you that for years I did not enjoy ministry. I did not experience the light burden and the heavy yoke because I was too busy worrying about what everybody else thought of me and whether or not they'd be disappointed, whether or not I let them down. And I am really good at trying to keep everybody happy. And I was killing myself and ignoring my family. And I wasn't experiencing the joy that I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of successful, quote unquote, ministry, something started to happen inside of me where I started to realize something's not right. Something's wrong. And God told me as I came to a point, some of you know my story, some of you read my book, some of you have heard. I came to a point while I was pastor here at this church that in the midst of the growth, in the midst of all the things that were going on, if you'd asked anybody, how are things at your church? They'd say, these are the best years of our life. They had no idea that I was going home at night and looking at my pool, wishing that I could just go lay down in the deep end. My wife and kids didn't even know. They just knew they never saw me. When our kids were younger and I was pastor here, I'd always bragged about the fact that my priorities were God first, family second, church third. That's what I always loved to say. God first, family second, church third. And one night we sat at the dinner table and I asked them all. I said, if I had to choose between you and the church, who would I choose? Nicole probably was about seven or eight. And she looked at me and she said, Daddy, you choose us if you didn't have a meeting. <laughs> and she was right. She was trying real hard to be pleasing, but at the same time, she let out. We feel like we come behind the church. And for those of you that were here when I came as pastor back in 2015 years ago, I walked in and said, let's stop doing it the way it's always been done. Let's take a look at the scriptures and let's rebuild it from the ground up scripturally. You remember? We walked through it. We, we laid everything flat and rebuilt. And then God got a hold of me and he said, Jim, you're telling them to stop doing it the way it's always been done. And you've rebuilt everything from the, script, from the ground up scripturally, except what you do. You're pastoring the way it's always been done. Why don't you do a little study of the scriptures and find out what your role is supposed to really be? And God took me on a two-year process to really walk me through what his design was for pastors. And some are apostles, and some are prophets, and some are evangelists, and some are shepherds, the pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And God began to have me preach and teach that, but little did I know that in that process, He was preparing me for what He was going to do and calling me out of the pastorate to go and share this and help churches get turned around. And that's my passion. I'm going to surrender to whatever God has, but I pray He never has me pastor ever again because I love my role. I found His yoke easy and my bur His burden light. People have said, how do you live that kind of a life? It's fun. It's fun. Our kids have gotten me into this TV show they found called Sherlock. And if you ever watch the show, he's a miserable person to be around if he doesn't have a case to solve. But as soon as somebody dies, he gets all excited. <laughs> oh, good. Someone was killed. I get to solve the mystery. And, and we, we looked at that last night. and I said, that's me when I get the next phone call on the next trip. I get excited. I want that for you. What you got to do is you got to stop saying yes to the people that are expecting you to do things. And you say yes to the Lord because each of us have some things that he wants us to be doing. That's not for me to determine. That's between you and the Lord. But let me tell you, you find out what that is. I'm going to say to you what they said to Archippus. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And if you don't know what that is. I don't mind you sending me an email and we begin to talk about the process of how God may help you find it. Don't expect me to counsel you through it. Not that guy. But I can promise you, and I'll give you a little hint right now. I believe God has put on each of our hearts what he desires to do through us. I think it's already there in you. Joseph was told long before it happened, you're going to have all these people bow down to you. Abraham was told long before it happened, you're going to be a mighty nation. David was told long before it happened, you're going to be the next king of Israel. All the way through, even Adam, when God had all the animals come by him and he was to name them and to see if a helper was found suitable, but no helper was found suitable. Wait a minute, Lord. <laughs> Why would you think that an animal would be suitable? Your word says that Jesus was planned before the foundation of the world. And if Jesus was planned before the foundation of the world, you had to have known there was going to be man and woman and sin and a need of a savior. And God says, what I was doing was putting in Adam a desire for what I already desired to bless him with. As he walks these animals go by and he names them. And God says, you think this one's going to be a good suitable help for you? Well, maybe, not really. 
I can guarantee you, even Adam after a while said, man, even the hippo's got a girlfriend. <laughs> what does he say then after God put the desire for what he wanted to do for him in his heart? What does Adam say when he wakes up and there's Eve? He said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. In other words, she looks like me. God had already planned to bless him. Folks, let me tell you, what God's wired for you is already in you. Paul said God had chosen him to be a preacher to the Gentiles before he was even born. We love to quote how we're saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works so no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for me to do and for all of us to do. Find that. I ran into someone in the hall tonight beforehand who goes to this church, and I know they're thinking about renovating the sanctuary. And I said, How, when are they going to start that part? And I loved his answer. He goes, I don't know. Not on that committee. <laughs> I said, good for you. Good for you. That's the way it's supposed to be. Man, life's so much easier when you're not having to worry about everybody else's stuff. I had one preacher tell me, he goes, boy, now after pastoring this church, I can see the value of how great it would be to go preach and leave. I go, no, that's my job. Thank you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with remembering those who are in prison. Hebrews 13, 3 says to do so. I'm going to leave you with one last scripture to set us up for revelation. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see it? Everything we've been looking at, it's all right there. We're to encourage each other in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and get doing it all the more. And they say, Jim, you're about to stop for a month, and now you're going to read to us how we're not supposed to neglect meeting together. I think God's going to be okay with this month off, but we're going to be back together in September, and I can't wait to see you. I love you all. Thanks for coming.